Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The mission of the Greenville Oaks Church of Christ is to inspire people to follow Jesus because we are convinced that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Find out more about Greenville Oaks or connect with us online at greenvilleoaks.org. As always, we ask that you subscribe to, rate, and review our podcast. It makes it easier for others to find us. And now, on to this week's message with Lead Minister Colin Packer. family. Uh, my opening line is not a surprise probably to you. Jesus is the most remarkable human being who's ever lived. And that is something we often think about in light of his supernatural gifts, of the many miracles that he did while he was on planet earth. The casting out of demons, the feeding of the 5,000 from a young boy's lunch sack, Raising of a friend from the dead. And those are the kind of things that set Jesus apart that make us think, well, we can never be quite like Jesus. But the most remarkable thing about Jesus to me is something you could learn to do, that we could learn to do. It's not easy, but it's possible. And it's this. Jesus knew who he was. Jesus' identity was firmly secure. And that changed so much of Jesus and the way he encountered people, the way he served, the way he was willing to die. And I want to talk more about that this morning. And I want us to consider the ways that perhaps we too can have our security in our identity in Jesus Christ. After uh, Jesus is baptized by John in the desert, I want to read from the uh, first chapter of Mark this morning. Mark chapter 1, verses 10 and 11 And we mentioned this last week as we were talking about the places in Matthew where God clearly speaks and speaks of Jesus' identity. Listen to this after that baptism in Mark 1, verse 10. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my Son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Jesus knew who he was. And I struggle to remember who I am. I'm constantly trying to prove to everyone else of, uh, of my worth. The truth is my identity isn't that far from the identity that Jesus lived into. I am God's son. We are, each one of us, either God's daughters or God's sons. And that's exactly the identity that shaped who Jesus was on the earth. But you probably struggle to believe it sometimes like I do. You struggle to believe the truth of who you are. Sometimes you're trying to prove to others exactly who Jesus and God have already said that you are. And you're not the first to struggle with that. Peter was trying to do the same thing 
trying to live up to some kind of standard and to be who Jesus wanted him to, to be. Judas was trying to do the same thing. Pilate was trying to do the same thing. But Jesus didn't seem to have the same need to prove what was already true about him. And I think this is the most remarkable thing about Jesus. I'm telling you, it's incredible. And in today's sermon, I want us to look at Jesus and his unshakable identity that allowed him to do what comes so unnaturally to so many of us. Let us pray this morning. Father, that song will be in my ears all week long, I think. Jesus at the center of it all. And as we uh, lead up to this uh, resurrection celebration next Sunday, God, I pray that as we walk through the events of Jesus' life in our own homes with our uh, eggs at home and the devotionals that our children's ministry has passed on to our families, that we'll remember ourselves, God, that Jesus knew exactly who he was, that his identity was secure, and it's what allowed him to live in the way he did in his final week on planet Earth, at least before his resurrection. This morning, God, I pray that you would secure our identity once again, that we would know we are your beloved, your sons and your daughters. I pray this morning you would pour through me the gift of preaching so that Christ would be formed in us. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, today we're going to journey through Jesus' final hours before the cross. Let's begin on the night of his arrest. He's at the table with his 12 disciples celebrating the Passover, which is a holiday celebrating that night we talked about weeks and weeks ago in the story. The story of God passing over those homes with lamb's blood that was over the door frames. The angel of death passing over and and, and not having any of those children taken, but the firstborn sons of all of Egypt died that night. I want you to watch this scene in John. If you turn with me to John chapter 13. This is that scene at the Last Supper that Jesus has with his disciples on this Passover meal. John 13 verse 2. The evening meal was in progress. And the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. The Son of God humbles himself which he's going to do over and over again in these next 24 hours. And he gets down on his knees with a towel and he begins to wash the feet of his disciples. It's an act of service that many leaders could never humble themselves to do. Just think about the leaders of high-powered businesses around the world. Think about our politicians. Is there any chance they would think to do such a thing, to get down on their knees to wash their disciples' Feet. If so, those are the examples of servant leadership that Jesus inspires. So why does Jesus do it? What makes him such a different leader? Well, listen again to verse 3 of chapter 13. I think this is the key verse. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. There's something that Jesus knew It shaped the way he was able to respond. Jesus knew that all things were under his power. 
that he had come from God, that he would be returning to God. And when you know those things, you have no need to demand a place of power on earth. The words God spoke over Jesus in his baptism were core to his identity. He knew that he was God's son. His future was secure. And when your identity is secure, you can serve just about anyone. And not only that, Jesus is secure enough to sit at a table with people like Judas and Peter who are about to betray him. Let's read on in John 13, verse 21. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified. Very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, ask which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. And then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, what you were about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas was, had charge of the money, some thought he was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. And we've all had people betray us in our lives. My guess is this morning that if I were to ask you a list of five to ten people that, that have betrayed you, you could quickly come up with that. I certainly could. It's amazing how some of those people still take up space in my head. There are people I would struggle to share a table with. Can I, can I get an amen this morning or am I the only one? But the reality is this. If my identity were secure in Jesus Christ, there would be no table I could sit at or room that I could walk into that I would struggle to be around those who are in that room. And Jesus was able to sit at the table with Judas without any threat to his identity. Listen, it's remarkable that Jesus heals the sick and casts out demons and does these miracles. But I find it even more remarkable that Jesus can sit at a table with Judas there and with Peter there without any malice in his voice or concern about what they're about to do. Peter's about to betray him three times and Jesus gets through dinner without even a hint of anger. He even washed these two men's feet. Later, after they finish at the table, Jesus invites his disciples to join him on a late night hike to the Mount of Olives, particularly to the Garden of Gethsemane. Why is he headed there? Well, he's going to pray, which has been the pattern throughout his ministry, that Jesus, before he comes up to a big moment, will go off on a mountain to pray. He'll go off in important moments, thin spaces, to pray to God, to request a sense of clarity about the future. This was the moment that his identity was to be tested for the last time. But this time of prayer isn't just for Jesus. It's also for his disciples. And so turn with me now, if you would, to Luke chapter 22, as we read about this story in the Garden of Gethsemane. Luke 22, verse 39. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. 
An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. His sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. It's one of the most difficult moments in Jesus' entire life on planet Earth. It's going to be followed by a series of even more difficult moments in the hours ahead. But I want you to pay close attention to Jesus' prayer. Again, verse 42. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. Let's think for a moment about that prayer. What is it that Jesus is asking well, he wants the cup to pass. He would love, love nothing more than for God to find some other way for salvation to be brought to the world, for relationship between God and humans to be made right. We've all prayed that prayer before, haven't we? Knowing what's ahead of us, asking for God to somehow remove whatever it is that's the obstacle, the challenge that we know will be so difficult. God, I don't want to go through this. Just take this away. In fact, there's a good chance that many of us this morning are praying prayers like that in our lives right now. But the hardest part of the prayer comes after the yet. We all pray the first part of the prayer. God, take this away from us. Far fewer of us are willing to pray after the yet. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. But this isn't the first time that Jesus has prayed this prayer. No, Jesus has been praying this prayer for a, for a long time now. He's had some practice. You remember a, a couple of weeks ago, Elisa shared with us the, the Sermon on the Mount. And in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. And I want to read again from, from Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, this prayer takes some practice, doesn't it? I've, I've had plenty of moments in my life when I prayed the first half of Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane. Take this cup from me. Just take it away, God. But i got to confess, I've had far fewer moments when I prayed the second half of that prayer. Yet not my will, but yours be done. The story of salvation hinged on Jesus' willingness to pray and live into that prayer. And that makes me wonder what wonderful things in our lives and the lives of others might be waiting beyond the second half of that prayer in our own lives. God, we want this to be taken away. We want you to fix this situation. But I wonder how many wonderful things would wait if we would also pray, God, I want this. But ultimately, I want what you want even more than what I want. That's a hard prayer, isn't it? The prayer on the other side of yet. But before that blessing comes to all of us, comes more challenge. And after Jesus' prayer comes his arrest. Judas arrives to identify Jesus. And there's these soldiers that are carrying torches and lanterns and weapons. And here's what we read about as the story continues in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 18, verses 4 through 6. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with them. 
When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. You notice he's asked this question of his identity. Who are you? This is the question we've been struggling with now for two weeks, where again and again, he identifies himself as the son of God. But when he's asked who he is and he knows what's on the line, there's no question about who he is in this because he's been at prayer and he's offered to God, your will be done. I am he. You remember that phrase, I am the power that's in it. They fall back to the ground. I am is that phrase that God identified himself all the way back in the book of Exodus. Who is it, Moses asked, that I'm supposed to tell is sending me to Pharaoh? I am. This is the same I am. Jesus is ready to turn himself over peacefully, but one of his disciples, Peter, isn't quite ready for that. We read on John 18, verse 10. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? This is going to be the temptation that Jesus is going to face over the coming hours. Before he breathes his last, will Jesus use power and violence to preserve his life? Or will he choose to die without resistance? You know, Peter's a lot like us. He'll take the kingdom by force. He's got a weapon ready to protect himself. He's after a throne. He's establishing a kingdom. And in his mind, that's impossible without a sword or two. How many of us have allowed our imaginations to think just like Peter? Again, Peter has been told, you're going to deny me three times. And Jesus, he's insistent with Jesus. It's not going to happen. You can see in this scene, Peter's like, no, I'm not going to betray Jesus. I'm going to do just what's necessary to make sure it's never spoken of me, to make sure this rooster never crows. But Jesus' prayer has prepared him to die rather than to kill. It's the same temptation Jesus faced all the way back at the beginning of his ministry in the desert, in the wilderness, when Satan tempts him. He tempts him to have the power over all the kingdoms of the world if he would only bow down and worship the devil. But Jesus refused. He wasn't after worldly power. He didn't need Caesar's help and he wasn't after his throne. And I don't know if there's a more important word right now for the American church than Jesus' example here. The last few election cycles have carved up and divided the American church. We've allowed an obsession with which party and candidate will sit in the White House, so much so that we can't seem to see straight. And Jesus, when given the chance to take that kind of power, rejected it all at the beginning of his ministry, and he's going to reject it again at the end. We're just like the crowd, it seems sometimes, calling for Barabbas to be saved instead of for Jesus to be the one to be saved. You see that story this week? It's remarkable as we read on uh, this morning. Pilate finally has a chance to, to have this trial with Jesus, and he's ready to release Jesus. He can't find any reason to convict him. But I want you to listen to the crowd, because I hear my cries in the midst of this, and maybe you'll hear yours too. Listen to this madness. This is John chapter 18, the second part of verse 38. With this, he went out again to the Jews, gathered there and said, This is Pilate. I find no basis for a charge against him. But it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now, Barabbas 
had taken part in an uprising. In this desperate moment, Jesus' followers are more interested in the imagination of a Barabbas than they are this seemingly failed Jesus. The only leader they have use for is a guy named Barabbas who's taken part in an uprising. Barabbas is a revolutionary who was once uh, arrested for insurrection. And a week earlier, a crowd had gathered to welcome Jesus with palm branches and hosannas. You remember the scene, we celebrate this on Palm Sunday. But a week later, those same crowds that welcomed him into the city are now chanting something far different. Now it's not hosanna. Now they chant crucify him. A week later, the crowd doesn't want the one entering into the city on the donkey. They want Barabbas. It's hard to imagine a kingdom advancing without power and violence. And keep with me. Just listen to the framework of power that's passed back and forth between Pilate and Jesus in this story. This is John 19 and verse 4. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, here is the man. And as soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, crucify, crucify. But Pilate answered, you take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jewish leaders insisted, we have a law, and according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. This lynch mob is not interested in a just outcome. Pilate, the one in charge, sees no reason to convict him, no evidence, but because of this crowd, Pilate is afraid. So he attempts to make a power play with Jesus, but watch Jesus. Again, he's the most remarkable human who's ever lived. He knows exactly who he is. John 19 in verse 9. And he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said, don't you realize I have, and there's that word power, either to free you or to crucify you. Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. See, Jesus once again knows exactly who he is. He has no need to prove his power, no need to uh, defend his identity. Pilate is trying to save Jesus' life in this scene. He's saying, I have the power to preserve your life. Wouldn't you want that? But Jesus has no need for that because Jesus has already prayed beyond the yet. God, may your will be done, not mine. So he reminds Pilate of the source of Pilate's power. But then the power play continues. The crowd forces Pilate's hand and in their attempt to do so, they commit the greatest heresy you can imagine. John 19 verse 12. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. You can see it here. The crowd's more committed to Barabbas and and Caesar than they are to Jesus. Again, I hope we're listening. Let's keep listening in verse 13. 
When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the stone pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews, but they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked? And here's the line. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. It's almost impossible to believe it's come to this. Here's Jesus, the Savior of the world, the Son of God, and all they have to respond to all this is, we have no king but Caesar. Imagine what Jesus must be feeling in this moment. His disciples have all deserted him, it seems, at this moment. The ones he spent three years with, it's all the miraculous things, nowhere to be found. The crowds who loved him a week before are now shouting, crucifying and seeming to love Caesar and those in power more than Jesus the King. And yet Jesus, the most remarkable human who has ever lived, doesn't question or resist the death he is about to endure. Jesus was secure enough in his identity that he could eat at a table with Judas and with Peter. Jesus was secure enough in his identity that he could pray beyond the yet because he trusted God and God's will. Jesus was secure enough in his identity that he didn't need a throne from power to reign on, but he was willing to reject violence and power. And Jesus was secure enough to die on the cross for each one of us. On that same mountain where centuries before Isaac had gone up a hill carrying wood, now Jesus would come up on that same mountain carrying another stack of wood across. God's only son crucified alone on a cross. And all the sins from that first sin we read about in week in chapter one of this story, Adam and Eve and this fruit, all the way up to the sins that people are committing right as I speak were placed on Jesus on that cross. He bore the weight of our sin and he died a once for all sacrifice for those who will believe in him. I think this is the most remarkable thing about Jesus. I love that he did miracles. I love that he brought this strange, diverse group of 12 disciples in and walked with them. I love that he raised uh, people from the dead. I love that he did all of these things. But all of those things seem so distant from us, don't they? They're not things that we can tap into exactly, that we have power through the Holy Spirit to do more than we can ask or imagine, I know. But, but there is something through the Holy Spirit's work in our lives that we can be certain of, that can form us so that we can sit at table with anyone, so that we can reject power and violence when it seems to be for our good, so that we can even take up our own crosses in our own day. And that one thing is he knew who he was. He knew that he was God's son. He knew that all power was underneath him. He knew that he would go to the cross, but he knew that he would be resurrected to heaven beside the Father. And we can be secure in our identity this morning because of that decision by Jesus. Because of his death and ultimately his resurrection. And if you want to know more about how to live this kind with this kind of security, to, to live with a confidence about not just the afterlife, but about how we live in this present moment, we as a church would love to help you know more about that.
I'd love to talk with you after service. I know our staff and elders would love to walk with you more in this journey of discipleship. There are many people sitting around this morning. And, and for those of you online, when you're ready to gather again or, or through online conversation, we would love to talk with you about this Jesus who has set our identity straight, who has let us know that we are sons and daughters of the living God. So this week, we mourn the death of Jesus. But next week, there'll be more to the story. And next week, uh, we will have a, an opportunity for those who may want to give their lives to Jesus. This morning, we can do the same, of course. But if this coming week, you know that Easter Sunday is the day you want to give your life to Jesus, you want to remember the day that Jesus was resurrected as the day that you are now guaranteed resurrection in the end because of Jesus Christ, we'd love to make that possible next Sunday. And again, this morning, if you have that desire, we would love to do that as well. Let me pray as we close our time this morning. Our God and our Father, it it seems like every moment is a grasping for our identity. Whether it's through our work or it's through our relationships or it's through our children or it's through financial security or it's through promises of health, whatever it is, it seems like we're grasping all the time so that we can be secure, so that our firm, our feet can be planted on firm foundation and yet everything is sinking sand if it's not Jesus Christ. And so God, as we come together as a church family, as we remember this week, the, all of the things that Jesus went through, as we remember his death on the cross, God, we're grateful that your son Jesus knew who he was, that he was willing to pray beyond the yet and have your will be done instead of having the cup pass. God, help us to step into that same prayer, to be willing to do whatever it takes, whatever you desire and will for us to do so that others might come to the same living faith in Jesus Christ. And so God, for those of us that struggle with our identity, God, I pray they would know firmly and clearly your love for them and their, your desire that they would be called children of yours. So God, as we leave today and as we prepare for next week, as we look forward to celebrating resurrection today, let us not forget the sin that put Jesus on the cross and the sin that can be forgiven because of his death on the cross and because of the blood that was spilled on our behalf. We thank you for this incredible gift. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. Be standing now as we close our time this morning. May you, my brothers and sisters, know deep down in your bones that Jesus is the Son of God. And he willingly died on your behalf and God loves you and desires relationship with you so that you can be called a son of God that you can be called a daughter of God. May you be blessed in that truth this week as we leave today. Go in peace. Thank you for listening to this message from the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. We hope this message helps you to inspire people to follow Jesus because you're convinced, like we are, that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Make sure to give us a rating and review on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or Stitcher. Discover more about the Greenville Oaks Church online at greenvilleoaks.org.